thank you, Dan. And hey, everybody at home, I hope you guys are having a really, really great day. Let me just say right at the camera, we love you guys. We pray for every single one of you guys on every single one of our campuses and every single one of the cities across the state. I hope you're having a really, really good morning. I hope your family is having a great start to this Sunday. And I'm looking forward to tonight on all of our campuses opening up our facilities at 7 p.m. for prayer. Uh, and so we'll, we'll get around to that more at the end of the service, but looking forward to what God is doing in these days. Hey, are you ready for the book of Revelation? I'm ready for the book of Revelation. I wanna invite you to go ahead and open up your Bible if you've got one, please. Uh, and, and I wanna tell you, this is a really great series to take notes in. Uh, our teaching team is pumped. We've been leaning in and getting ready, and I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to be encouraged in these next eight weeks in the book of Revelation. Uh, but before we jump in, I want to read chapter one to all of us. And uh, here's the deal. Our world right now is unbelievably noisy, amen? There is so much volume in the earth there is so much shouting in the earth. There is so many people that are outraged. I've heard it described as we are in the age of outrage. But what I wanna offer to us today in the middle of all the noise is that we would turn down the volume of the world and we would tune in to the voice of our Savior. And so that's why we wanna lean into these words and we're gonna read these scriptures and we're gonna read these seven letters in the days ahead to each one of the seven churches because yes, they were written to the church of Ephesus and to us. They were written to the church of Thyatira and to us. But we're gonna to start today by reading all of uh, Revelation chapter one. So if you got your scripture in front of you, you can look at it. I'm gonna read it to us. Okay, let's read. You ready? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. That's good news for me. And blessed are those who hear. That's good news for you. And who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. The firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. 
Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice, his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying these words, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray. Father God, these are your words. We've read them, and now we invite you to read us. Lord, would you give us everything we need in these days, and I pray that you would speak truth and clarity into every single home, into every single man, and every single woman, every single student, every one of us, we need it. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, let me synthesize what's happening here because maybe you caught it, but the bottom line is the book of Revelation was written by John. This is John the Beloved. This is John the writer of the Gospel of John. This is John who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This is John who we see all through the New Testament journey. And the story that he writes in the book of Revelation was actually witnessed on the island of Patmos. It's in modern day Mediterranean. It's off of where Turkey is today. And John was an old man when this moment occurred in his life. You see, most scholarly work thinks it happened between the years of 90 and 96 A.D. 90 and 96 A.D. And John, as he talked about in there, had already lived through some pretty unbelievable things as a follower of Jesus. You see, he wrote about the fact that he was in the tribulation as well. And so what he actually was referring to is that John, like many of the disciples after Jesus' ascension, because they were building the church, they faced a lot of persecution. And John specifically, church history tells us, was actually boiled alive. And they were trying to kill him, but he did not die. And so you can imagine this old saint John, who had witnessed what he had witnessed, who had been boiled alive but had not died, they were trying to figure out what are we going to do with him. Well, let's send him to this prison island like Alcatraz is the best context that I can give us in America. Let's send him to this prison island to live out the rest of his days. And it's here on this island he gets this revelation of Jesus for us. And so he hears and he sees the picture of the risen Savior, and then he begins to write. Now, these are little cool factoids. He begins to write these letters, and over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna go through all seven letters, but just if you like taking notes and you wanna write down some really cool fact notes, John is gonna write seven letters to seven churches. Paul would do the same. Paul would also write seven New Testament letters to seven churches. There's only one of those churches that's the same. That's the church of Ephesus. We'll talk about it next week. Pastor Clayton King will be here talking with us about that. 
pretty cool, but he would write to the churches and he's going to give them some, some clarity. Now, let me just ask this question before we go any further. When you hear about the book right now of Revelation, what usually comes to your mind? Like, what comes to your mind when you think about Revelation? Like, when you heard, hey, New Spring Church is gonna do a eight-week series on this word, Revelation, what comes to your mind? Maybe, maybe you're like me and you grew up as a, as, as a, as a, you know, a young Christian in the 80s and 90s, and so when you hear the book Revelation mentioned, you think of like Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins and the Left Behind series. Anybody, anybody read every single one of those? Okay, they like took the world by storm back in the 90s. Or maybe you're one of these people, when you hear about the book of Revelation, you don't know a whole lot about it, but you know you've got like that crazy Christian friend that they talk about crazy things that they, you know, send you like, you know, every once in a while like this random video on Facebook about this pastor who had this like prophetic insight and they send you some crazy things about the book of Revelation. Or maybe you're like others that see Revelation and you've seen the Instagram meme in these days. I don't know if anybody else has seen this. It's like, I wonder what chapter of Revelation we're gonna wake up to today in the year of 2020. Anybody? Uh, doesn't matter where you come from. I think a lot of people, when they hear the, the word revelation, have a lot of pictures and images. But can I just tell you, the first note I want you to write down is what this word actually means. Revelation does not mean World War III. Revelation is not about the mark of the, the beast primarily. Revelation is, is not primarily uh, about the date that Jesus is gonna come back and return. Revelation is, is not about um, a, a lot of things. Revelation is about this word right here. You ready? Apocalypsis. That's the actual word revelation right there in Revelation chapter one, verse one. Apocalypsis, and it looks like a word we all know, the apocalypse. And so when you see the apocalypse, you think about Armageddon and you hear end time stuff, but but what apocalypsis actually means, watch this, means this, it means revealed, disclosed, made known, uncovered, or unveiled. I'm gonna really emphasize this word right here today because this is what Revelation is all about. So here's what I want you to write down. Revelation does not mean confusion, although that's what many of us, perhaps most of us, think about when we think about the book of Revelation. We think about, it's just confusing. It's just symbols and scrolls and bowls and Armageddon and Mark of the Beast and a lot of crazy people talking a lot of crazy prophecies. But the heart of Revelation, listen, the heart of Revelation was not to send confusion into the church, but rather the heart of the revealing, the, the heart of the unveiling was to send clarity into the church. God's heart for the book of Revelation, the reason that the book of Revelation is in our Bibles is to bring clarity into confusing days. That's one of the reasons I feel like this is gonna be a massive book for us in these moments that we're in in 2020. So the book of Revelation, I want you to write this down. This is a big idea. It'll be a thread throughout the entire series, but the book of Revelation is in our Bibles for a reason. Here's why the book of Revelation is in our Bibles. Revelation is in our Bibles to encourage suffering Christians that God wins. Now, come on. I know that we're not all in the building today, but I need you to know that God wins. Maybe you can like look across the living room at your spouse and lock eyes with them and let them know God wins. Maybe you can tell your kids that God wins. Maybe if you're a kid in the room, you can tell your parents, hey, God wins. The book of Revelation is in our Bible so that when we face crazy times that cause a whole lot of crazy confusion, we can be assured that God wins. Would you say that out loud with me everywhere on three? One, two, three, God wins.
He wins. We get great doctrine from this. Later on, the church would build the doctrine of Christus Victor, that Christ is our victory, and that we are a victorious and triumphant people. No matter the persecution, no matter what we face in life, we win in Jesus. And I just wanna say to you in your situation, if you're in Christ, you're gonna win. You're gonna make it. We're gonna get through 2020. We're gonna get through COVID. We're gonna get through the heat waves. We're gonna get through students being at home for school. We're gonna get through an ACC only football schedule. We're gonna make it. God wins, y'all. It's gonna be okay. But the other big piece here is that I wanna grab a hold of a verse, verse three, because it's another thread that goes throughout. And I want you to write it down because I think it's a promise for you and me. And our church is built on trusting God's promises. Here's a promise we can trust. He writes in verse three, he said, blessed. It starts, the book of Revelation actually starts with the blessing and the book of Revelation actually concludes with a curse. We'll talk about that later, but it starts with the blessing and the blessing is for you and for me. Blessed is the one who reads it. And so we're gonna read it aloud. But not only the one who reads it, it's a three-pronged blessing. Not only the one who reads it, but also the, the one who hears it, because you know there's a difference between somebody in your room actually reading something and then the other people in the room actually hearing it. Parents, can I get an amen? How many times have you said something and you're like, how many times do I have to tell you, right? Um, reads, but hears, but not just hears. We've gotta do some work here. There's some doing involved. So the blessing is a three-pronged blessing. We've gotta read it, we've gotta hear it, and we've gotta keep it, and that's what I wanna invite all of us into in the days ahead. As we get into these seven letters, we're gonna read them. I'm gonna invite the Lord to help us hear them, but there's gonna be some action that we have to participate in in order to keep it. Now, the rest of the time I'm gonna to spend today is getting around this idea of unveiled. If Revelation is about bringing clarity to each one of our lives, then what I wanna do right here is, is is I wanna ask a question just while you're in your room. Why, why is this revelation of John and reading this entire chapter out loud in 2020, how is it practically gonna be helpful for you and I in our Christian journey? Like really, like what's the purpose? What, why does it matter? Why does it matter to me, my family, my wife, my, my, my husband? My, why, why does it matter to me here in Florence or down in Greenwood? Why, why should it matter? I wanna show you why this matters so much, and it has everything to do with this idea of, of seeing clearly, this idea of revelation is the idea of unveiling. You see, John wrote these words, but as soon as he wrote them, I believe he would have been reminded about what his, his friend Paul would have written to the church in Corinth. I wanna show you this, okay? Here's what Paul writes in Corinth. He writes these words about the idea of a veil and unveiled. But when one turns to the Lord, the, there it is, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and, watch this, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I wanna connect a couple of things so you guys look at this, watch this. This is a reference, right? When, when Paul writes these words, we don't really talk about a veil a whole lot in our context today. We, we, the only place we really see veil is maybe in a little bit of a traditional wedding context. You'll see a bride come and then her veil is lifted 
lifted right before she gets to smooch her husband, right? And I don't know if you had a wedding with a veil. My wife did not have a veil when she walked down the aisle. Um, but this idea of a veil, this is a reference to the Old Testament to Moses who had to veil his face after he saw the back of God, not even the face of God. But now our invitation as New Testament believers is we have seen Jesus Christ. And when look what it says. When we turn to the Lord, we turn from the world and we turn to the Lord, that there is a veil that is lifted in our lives. And now we, with an unveiled face, we behold. We just sang those words a minute ago. Behold, you're doing a new thing. But I want you to see the relationship between beholding and being transformed, right here, these two things. I need you to see this relationship. Beholding and being transformed. Now here's where it gets really practical. I wanna ask this question. How are you following Jesus in a way that causes change to occur in your life? Now this is an age old question that Christians have been asking for thousands of years and all over the world, Christians employ all kinds of different ways by which to be changed. Right, Because none of us started following Jesus and none of us were perfect, right? Like the goodness of the good news of Jesus is that he steps right down into our brokenness, into our addiction, into our sinfulness. Jesus was not intimidated by our sin. Isn't that awesome? Like he loves us in spite of us. But then how do we change? And I think there's a lot of myths out there even in the South, even in Christian church, right? Even in, even in our context that if you're gonna change, then there's a couple of things. Some people think, well, the way you actually change as a Christian is, is that you've gotta like follow a bunch of rules. Like a bunch of rules. Like there's a lot of things you don't do anymore and there's a lot of things you've gotta start doing now. There's a lot of rules and regulations and you've gotta dress a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way, date a certain way. There's a lot of rules. That's how you actually change as a Christian. And then on the other extreme, there's other people that they go, no, 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 you don't follow rules, man. It's not about rules. There's now no rules at all. And there's other people that think that the radical way that you follow Jesus is push all the rules away and just grace and forgiveness and just, you know, just Jesus is forgiving and he's gracious. And, and so you just, man, don't even worry about it. You just do you, show up at church, but do whatever you want to do and just that's fine. And then there's still others that they, they, adhere to a completely different mindset, they actually go into this place where they abstain from anything fun. Have you met these Christians before? Like maybe some of you didn't wanna be a Christian because you thought all the Christians you knew, they were like against fun and that God up in the sky, Father God, that he was like this, this, you know, this God who didn't want anybody to have fun even though he created joy. But there's some Christians that believe that like the way you change in Christianity is you just don't do anything fun. If it can cause laughter or happiness or smiles on our faces, we don't do it. And uh, here's what I will say. I will say all of those fall short that there's actually one way to change and it's what we see John do here in front of us in Revelation 1. It's what we see Paul write about here in 2 Corinthians 3 and it's the way that we're going to be changed in the days ahead. I'm gonna show you an illustration, um, one of my favorite illustrations actually. And uh, let me explain it to you like this. I bet I have drawn this illustration on napkins in notebooks, on whiteboards, literally dozens of times at this point in, in my pastoral uh, ministry because it's so helpful, but let me explain what it is. So right here, we've got a, we've got a life a lifeline. So this, this line down the middle represents the life of John or your life and mine. There's a point when we were born and then there's a point we go on into the future, all right? Check this out. 
This, this line going up right here, it, it represents God's goodness as we perceive it and we go forward in life, okay? So um, back here, like when I first met Jesus, like back here when I was eight years old, I don't know how old you were maybe when you first got a glimpse of Jesus and you understood it. When I met Jesus, like he was good, but as I got a little bit older, like 15 or 22 or 33 or so forth and so on, the goodness of God just continues to get greater as I live my life. Anybody understand what I'm saying? Like, as you live your life, you see God greater and better and incredible. Like, you thought he was great at eight, but your eight-year-old mind can only understand so much of his incredible awesomeness. And as you get older, you're gonna see his greatness get greater. But watch this. In addition to God's greatness getting greater, another truth simultaneously happens as you get older in life. I've recognized when I was eight, and then again when I was 15, 20, 25, 30, 30 so forth and so on, that my, my sinfulness, my brokenness, my depravity, if you will, was way worse than I thought it was back here when I was eight. Like when I was eight, um, I can remember one of the worst things I ever did when I was eight was I stole a pack of big red chewing gum from Community Cash. Now, I don't know if you remember Community Cash. I think you had to grow up around here, but it was a grocery store. And I remember, like, as a kid, one of the worst things I can remember doing is being in that buggy line where they put that stuff right there in front of your face as a kid. And I remember looking over and going, oh, big red chewing gum. I want that. Boom. Put it in my pocket. I remember getting in the car with my mom, and then we were sitting in the car, and I guess I just started chewing on the gum. And she looks over and goes, where'd you get that gum? And I said, inside. And she stopped right there and took me inside to meet the manager, to apologize to the manager and to say, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? And then I don't know, they had that thing worked out where the manager said to me, well, we won't call the police now, Mrs. Cooper, so your son's okay because he's apologized. But, but that was the, the sin of my eight-year-old self. But as I went further in life, I realized my sinfulness, sinfulness, my brokenness, my addictions were way worse than I ever could have thought or imagined they were at eight and so this is the way all of life works. But watch this. But somewhere in the midst of all of this, I meet Jesus. And perhaps you did too. And you catch a, a, a revelation of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna change the pen color because I wanna make sure you see it. And for me, I saw Jesus clearly for the very first time as an eight-year-old. But, but then I got older and I saw Jesus again and then, and then I get older and I, and I see Jesus again. And then I get, I get a little bit older and I, I journey through life a little bit more and I see him yet again in a clear way. I understand again how good God is and how great his forgiveness is. And here's what has to happen in the Christian life. I'm talking about how you and I can know that we are saved, how we can know that we're born again, how we can know that we're a follower of God is that we've seen him with unveiled face again and again and again. And as I get older in life and I see God's goodness gets greater and I understand my brokenness gets worse, I have to see that the cross of Christ and his resurrection power, the power of his empty tomb, the power of, of his Holy Spirit in me is greater and greater and greater and greater and greater Throughout the rest of my life, that is called progressive revelation, and it's what John had on this day in Patmos. Now, let me break it down for you for just a moment. I think it's really important that we see John write these words, because let me remind us who John was. 
Like if you go back in the story of John, John, we don't know exactly the first time he meets Jesus, but we know the first time according to scripture that he meets Jesus, that he was a fisherman with his brother James and they were working for their father Zebedee. And so he starts to follow this rabbi who was just a rumored teacher at that time. But John would go on to follow Jesus and he would see Jesus do unbelievable things. He would see Jesus, like you remember the time when Jesus fed the 5,000? All the men and women and, and, and John was there holding the baskets, watching the miracle take place. But John was also there on that day when Jesus stopped in the middle of a crowd following him and he turns and he goes, hey, who, who touched me? I mean, John might've been the one that laughed and said, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. Nobody's worried about social distancing in Galilee 2,000 years ago. They're all trying to get some of the Jesus germs, you know what I mean? And, and he turns in the middle of the crowd and, and he finds the woman with the issue of bleeding and realized that Jesus had just healed her. John saw that. It was just a little bit later that John was on the boat with Jesus going through the storm where all of these fishermen, career fishermen who had been on the lake so many hours were scared for their lives and they cry out and they see this Jesus stand up and go shh and everything just stops they were in the boat when Jesus got to the other side and he met the demoniac remember the story and this man had thousands of demons in him and nothing could hold him and Jesus cast the demons out of this man into the pigs who run into the lake and then now this man is in his right mind and Jesus had compassion on this man and told him to go and tell his story John was there John was there again on that mount of transfiguration he and two of the other disciples went up Mount Hermon and were with Jesus when all of a sudden God from heaven booms as Elijah and Moses are there and they're standing beside Jesus and God from heaven says, behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Follow him, let him lead you. And he sees Elijah and Moses bow to Jesus, the prophets in the law saying it's all about Jesus. John was there. John was there the night that Jesus broke the bread and he, he fed his disciples the Passover meal that turned into the Lord's Supper. He was there when Jesus washed John's feet. He was there just a few hours later in the Garden of Gethsemane when John saw Jesus praying and crying and sweating blood because he knew where he was gonna go. John was there when, when Jesus was betrayed and when Jesus was nailed and pierced and he was on the cross. John was there when Jesus spoke from the cross to John and said, hey, John, you see, Mary, she's gonna be your mom now. And Mary, you see, John, he's gonna be your son now. John was there. John was there three days later. He ran to the tomb, and the Bible says that he got there first, and peering in, he didn't go in. Peter came running by and saw that the tomb was empty and that Jesus was victorious and resurrected. John was there in the upper room when Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit. John was there on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended into heaven. John had seen Jesus again and again and again. He saw revelation after revelation after revelation after revelation, and John was there on Patmos, when he saw his friend, the one that he had leaned up against on the night they had had the Lord's Supper, the reason that they called John, John the Beloved is because he was so close to Jesus. But he saw Jesus again in a way that caused him to fall down like he was dead because he had never seen him like that, ever. And so why does this have to do with you and me? I wanna ask you a question. 
When was the last time that you got a glimpse of King Jesus that changed your life? And please don't say 38 years ago at youth camp was the last time it happened. Because I want to invite you in to a progressive revelation of beholding Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Because when you and I see him rightly, we will prioritize accordingly. Do you know what the state of South Carolina needs, New Spring Church? More than we need the coronavirus to lift and go away, the state of South Carolina needs men and women to see Jesus Christ. You know what your family needs more than anything? They don't need you to get a raise, dad. They don't need you to get a raise, mom. More than they need anything, anything. Your kids need you, mom and dad, to see Jesus Christ in a way that changes something in your life. So I wanna ask this question with emotion because I've been wrecked by this reality. We're gonna start an eight-week journey, but it comes from the grounds of this question. When was the last time that you got a glimpse of King Jesus and it mattered so much that you changed something. That's how you know. You didn't just see it, hear it, you changed something. That's how you know it's real. And the invitation over the next 40 days beginning tonight is to invite our church into prayer and fasting so that we might see God move in our day so that we might see God change the cities of Greenwood and Florence and Myrtle Beach and Anderson and all across the state. Because it's not gonna start in the White House, friends. It's gonna start in the church house. But before it starts in our facilities, you need to understand the church house is your living room. It's gotta start in our homes. And so the question today and my prayer for us is to invite each one of us to see Jesus new. See him risen, see him exalted, see him authoritative, see him powerful over it all. He's not wringing his hands in heaven going, oh my Lord, what are we gonna do now? I believe with everything in me that if we could really see how God was setting up the world for us to see a move of God in our day, we would be smiles on our faces, joy in our hearts, clapping with our hands, excited for the challenge ahead because God is setting up the church to see some incredible things, but the invitation is for us to not be childish, but to come with childlike faith and to stir that desperation again to see him new. You see, John was in exile, didn't wanna be there, didn't stop him from seeing Jesus new. So can I pray for us? And I wanna invite us again to answer that question. When was the last time you saw Jesus? And you saw him in a way that changed something in your life. Because I'm believing that the way we speak to our spouse and the way we talk on the internet and the way we raise our kids and the way we handle our finance and the, the college majors that we have and the career choices that we make, all of those things will begin to fall in line when we see Jesus new. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in this day of loud noise and we recognize the times we're in and outrage that we are around, that everybody is screaming and shouting. Help us, each one of us, each home to turn down the volume of the world and tune in to the frequency of our Lord. Lord, I pray that you would move in all of our hearts as we pray and fast and we call our church into prayer and fasting over the next 40 days to recognize maybe where we need to push away from the world's table 
some of the things that maybe we need to say no to. Maybe it's actually food. Maybe it's actually instead the news channel. Maybe it's instead the Facebook. Maybe instead it's, it's our cell phones. Maybe instead it's that extra medicated alcoholic beverage we've been giving ourselves permission to drink at the end of the day. What is it we need to say no to so we can say yes to tuning into your voice? We're desperate for you. So Jesus Christ, have your way. And Lord, I pray right now, if there is a man or woman that has never seen you clearly, but today they got an image and, a, and an understanding and a revelation of the risen Savior, our King Jesus, who holds the keys of sin, death, and Hades, that right here, right now, that you would allow them to, just like we read in 2 Corinthians 3, to turn towards you and that you'd remove the veil, that you would save their souls. And so if that's you right now, I just want to invite you right where you are to just in your own way, in your own heart, to just ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life, and to lead you with unveiled face for the rest of your days. That's what being a Christian is all about. He will transform and change all the things that need to be transformed and changed over the rest of our days if we would just turn towards the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Father God, thank you for salvation that you've allowed today to happen. We're believing. And thank you God for many of us that are gonna see you fresh and new right now and many times over in the days ahead. As we worship you, would you stir our hearts for it? In Christ's name we pray, amen.